History Makers with Matt Prater. Coming off of drugs, you're going to have emotional problems, but I kept chasing after God. And he's using this vehicle to bring people out of the dark into the light. And I went forward and I knelt at the front, and it was a radical conversion experience. And that's where the big change happened, and that's where we decided we're going to use our music for God, we're going to change our songs. When I was about 25 years old, I was uh, busted and into jail, and it was there that I came to the Lord. History Makers with Matt Prater. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with evangelist and Bible teacher Shane Willard. He's got a, a background uh, with uh, being trained by a Hebraic Jewish rabbi, a great man of God. He's got a different angle when you hear him preach on God's Word. He's a great man of God. We're going to hear a bit of his story today. Welcome along, Shane. Tell us a bit of your story. Whereabouts were you born and raised? Oh, well, it's good to be with you, Matt. And um, I was born and raised in Charleston, South Carolina, on the east coast of America. So in that sense, I'm a southern boy, you know, if you know what I mean. Um, I'm, um, uh, I, and I have a, a, a real, you know, sort of diverse, I was blessed. I, I think this is a strength, not a weakness. I was blessed with uh, coming up with diverse uh, viewpoints. Um, uh, so, so my, uh, you know, I, I grew up. The church, I, the church I grew up in was an old school Pentecostal holiness church. Okay. So, um, it, it, there would be. I can't think of. Um, I can't think of a, of the same thing in Australia. Um, it would be like my grandmother never cut her hair in her life, never wore makeup in her life, never wore jewelry in her life, never wore slacks in her life. You know, never probably had fun in her life. So it was, it was that sort of. Um, constricted thing. Um, every time you messed up, you lost your salvation. So you had to, you know, you had to come back to God. And, and they, you know, they, they, they told us some weird things like, you know, I mean, I'm seven years old and they're saying things like, be sure to say all your sins to Jesus before you fall asleep. Cause if you forget and Jesus returns, he's going to like, you know, oh. he'll, he'll leave, he'll leave you in the house alone and take your parents. It, oh. And it never, it, it never occurred to us that, you know, our parents were messed up too, you know? So <laughs> it just, it was a weird sort of constricted sort of thing, but it played its role in my life. I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of how God weaves in and out of our story is, is the, the, the stuff that, um, the stuff that's sort of strange and the stuff that's sort of dark and the stuff that's sort of life and the stuff that's sort of um, that's sort of confusing. He he gets in and out of that story and makes a beautiful story. And so I, so so my church growing up was that. But my I went I, w- I went to an independent fundamental premillennial Baptist school that was highly academic. And so and so they were the whatever the Pentecostal holiness people were. They were the exact opposite of that. But yet both fully devoted followers of Jesus. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, so it was a, it was a very d- d- diverse sort of, sort of thing. And, wow. um, and so, yeah, coming and, and then mixing on top of that, coming up in the South in America, where, where you ever grow up, you just think everybody's like that in the whole world and they're not. Mm. And so, <clears throat> so that, you know, it, it led me down, it led me down some pretty interesting paths, but it made, it made my spirituality well-rounded. Well, that's fascinating. Did you stay walking with the Lord through your teenage years, or did you fall away at any stage? Uh, no, I, um, I, I, uh, I was, I was preaching in church at 15 years old. Wow. Um, you know, uh, and uh, and so yeah, I took it. I took the whole thing quite seriously. I was, um, I was accepted uh, to be an engineering student at a, a, a 
university called Georgia Tech um, or University uh, Georgia Institute of Technology, which is a top ten engineering school in America. Um, but I was I was speaking one night um, at, at church, and it was a young adults meeting, and um, and I had the, this amazing sort of experience where somebody's life in particular was particularly impacted, and and I got this love for. Um, you, I, you know, probably back then I would have said God spoke to me or something, but I look back and maybe that is, maybe it was, maybe that's how God speaks to people. But I, if I was to put words on it now, I would say that I was allowed to be a part of being profoundly impacted by watching someone else have an encounter that created this life change for them. And, um, and, and so I decided uh, to not go to Georgia Tech and to pursue uh, to pursue a seminary degree um, and a psychology degree. Ultimately, in my master's is in clinical psychology. Um, so I was I, I decided to pursue those things in order to uh, to continue to exercise a teaching gift that God put on my life to um, you know to to watch um, and be a part of of people's life change. And so and so that was uh, and the funny part about that is I ended up at a like sort of a, a Presbyterian reformed seminary. So I was, so I was raised Pentecostal um, I, and, and my church was Pentecostal the whole time, but I was then, I was then um, educated Baptist and Presbyterian reformed. And then, and then I, and, and then I met this sort of Pentecostal uh, rabbinically trained person who trained me to see the Bible from that angle. So, so people say, well, you know, what's your background? Well, it depends on what you mean. Like I was, I was I was raised Pentecostal. I was I was sort of educated Baptist and Reformed, and then I've been mentored by a Pentecostal sort of rabbi person for 18 years. So it's, so there's this well-roundedness, you know, to uh, to how I to how I see things. Wow. Well, it's fascinating to hear that you were mentored by someone who was rabbinically trained. Uh, tell us about your focus uh in that area like do you practice the sabbath do you teach all that kind of stuff or do you just teach what you know what the jews believe and how that influences us how far do you take it well well so so the question you're asking there is you know where does theory and practice intersect yeah and i you know i think that um, if someone says do you practice the sabbath i would say I don't know what you mean by that, right? So, because words words matter less than how you picture words functioning, yeah. right? So, if somebody, if there are certain people that would ask me, "Do you practice the Sabbath?" and what they mean is, is do you cook a meal at sundown on Friday night, and then do you, right? So, there, there's this whole, uh, there's this whole thing. The, the way I practice Sabbath is, I look at my week and I set aside one day in seven that's different than all the other days. Yeah, and and I and and so there is this. There is this six and one rhythm built into the fabric of creation, and in the creation, in the creation story, there you know there is this there is this massive productivity from the Lord, and then a day set aside um, to rest. And so, uh, you know, from a practice point of view, I would say if there's not one day in seven that's different than all the other days, um, eventually your song gets out of rhythm. So. So what I mean by that is, is if you if we see our life as a song, um, the songs, I, and I'm not a musician, I don't really understand music. I do know when it sounds good or sounds bad, but when you have uh, you you have the right notes in the right key and the right rhythm. 
um, then you have a song. Mm. But if you um, if you if you're at church, and we've all been in church long enough to see this happen, where you could have the best singer in Brisbane at your church, next to the best guitar player in Brisbane, next to the best bass player in Brisbane, next to the best keyboard player in Brisbane. But if the drummer's off, it butchers the song. Yeah. Right. So all it would take is the drummer being a sixteenth of a beat off, and there's this awkward sort of oh my goodness. And so I think what happens a lot of times is is in our life. When things start going not well, our first question is, is what am I doing wrong? In other words, am I playing my song in the wrong notes or the wrong key? But, and, and, so, and that question needs to be asked. But sometimes the answer to that question is nothing. Uh, and then we need to look at rhythm because sometimes our life is going astray, not because we're doing anything wrong, but because our rhythm section is out. Yeah. And so, and so do, do, I, um, do, do I practice Sabbath? Yes, I do, but not in the way somebody would, might try to frame that to say um, that there's this uh, massive rule-keeping sort of thing where I see it as in and out, us and them. I, I don't. I just think it's healthy, it's healthy for the rhythms of, of people's lives. Now, in terms, of, in terms of how I see Scripture, what, what I tried to do, um, you know, I, I, I didn't, you know, he at first asked me, do you want to learn Hebrew? And I was like, well, if I need to, but not really. There's books that'll tell me what the Hebrew words mean. I, I, I want to know more culture and how did they see it? And what, what was going through the original audience's mind when they saw that word at that time, at that moment with those people? And what are the history stories underneath those stories that make those stories make more sense, right? So, so when you read a story like a a, like a pool inside the, the sheep gate in Jerusalem that evidently water gets stirred every now and then and one person gets healed and no one else. And there's got to be some sort of story underneath that story that makes that story make more sense because on the surface, it just looks like God is playing around with people's health, which would lead to the question, why would you put a story like that in the Bible? That, they, like that's a story you'd want to keep on the down low, wouldn't you? <laughs> and, and you're going, you know, wait a minute, there's, there's got to be a story underneath that story that then makes that story make more sense. And once you start learning those stories, it makes the Bible come alive even more. Well, I just love uh, your teaching, Shane, and I've, I've had you at my church, and I've listened to a bunch of your CD series and podcasts, online stuff as well. Uh, it's uh, always inspired me as a teacher to dig deeper into God's Word. And I remember one time you talked about uh, the the way that the Hebrews looked at the word salvation uh, in ancient days. Mm -hmm. Just unpack that one for us. So, so uh, once again, words matter less than how we picture words functioning, right? So if, if I say, like I was asked the other day uh, by an atheist, are you a Christian? He was asking me if I was a Christian. And my response to him was, I don't know. And what I meant by that was, was, and I explained this, I said, I don't know what you mean when you say Christian. So if I say I'm a Christian, then I'm defaulting to whatever you think a Christian is, right? So am I a fully devoted follower of Jesus? Yes, I am. But that might not be your picture of what a Christian is. Mm. So words, so when somebody says salvation, I mean, that word can mean anything from I said a prayer once so I can go somewhere else when I die to um, I was in a mess and God saved me from it, to, to whatever the case may be. And so the, the most ancient use of, of the word salvation um, to the Jewish people was the idea of being rescued 
from slavery. It actually didn't have a connotation of, of forgiveness in that moment at all. And let me be clear. I think forgiveness is a part of the salvation story, mm. but it's not the only part. And so when we, when, we make, when we make salvation only about forgiveness, it's not that we're telling a lie. It's just there's, there's parts missing. So to the Jewish people, the first idea of the idea of salvation was in, in the book of Exodus when he said, I'm hearing the cry of my people oppressed by the Egyptian slave masters, and I am determined now to come down and rescue them. Mm. And so the, the earliest idea of salvation was, God is not happy with something, doing something to you that is hurting your life, and he is going to rescue you from it. Now, what's interesting about that is, is the word judge, right? So if I was to say, Jesus is the judge, once again, words matter less than how we picture them functioning, right? So if somebody, said, if somebody immediately pictures a judicial officer, so Jesus is a judicial officer determining who's guilty and who's not, well... In the ancient Jewish world, a judge was not someone who was an, a, just a judicial officer. It was a deliverer. It was the one anointed by God to rescue you from the oppression. Like, there's an entire book in the Bible dedicated to that idea around a judge. It's called the Book of Judges. And in the Book of Judges, these people weren't judicial officers declaring guilt and not. They were people anointed by God to rescue people from whatever was oppressing them, right? So the Midianites or, 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 or the, the Philistines or, or in, in Moses' case, um, the, 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 Egyptians, the Egyptian slave drivers. And so you have this big story about God not being happy when people are oppressed. And when they cry out, he determines to rescue them. And then you have the actual word itself because – Ancient Hebrew, the most primitive Hebrew, were, was written in hieroglyphs. Um, there wasn't letters. That didn't come around till oh, goodness, you know, after 1300 or so. The, the, and, and that makes sense. I mean, if, they, if, if their family grew in Egypt and Egypt wrote in hieroglyphs, then the ancient language would have been hieroglyphic. And so every Hebrew letter is a picture. Every Hebrew word then is a comic strip. And the comic strip on the Hebrew idea of salvation is being rescued from the fish from a fish hook in your mouth that's like consuming you. Wow! So it's it's more this chasing this this lure, um, uh, like a fishing hook would be a lure. So whatever lures you is dominating your life and actually hurting you. And I am here to rescue from the lure of it. Now, now philosophically, that would be called the lie of the sacred object, the idea that there's something outside of me that if I just got it, I'd feel less lack. And even, even if it's a good thing, it's, it's, a, it's still a lie. Like if somebody might say, I, if I just got a raise, I'd, I'd feel less lack. No, no, you won't. You'll just be a richer version of your discontented self. Mm. Um, or, or a single person might go, oh, if I just had a spouse, right, I'd feel less lack. No, you would just be a discontented married person, because there's no such thing as a happy marriage that was forged between two miserable single people. Like, you'll never hear that. Like, you know, oh, we hated our life, but then we got married and it fixed it all. No, it, no, it doesn't, because marriage doesn't solve problems. Marriage will magnify whatever character flaw is there. So a good spouse is a great thing to have, but if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. A, a raise is a great thing to have, but if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. And so anything that's currently outside of us 
that we believe will help us lack the lack becomes a sacred object. I have to chase that. And that's where I think Jesus comes in. Like if you, if, if, if someone was to ask me, why does the gospel matter if you, if you remove forgiveness from the story, um, which I would say, well, we don't remove forgiveness from the story. But since you're asking me to remove forgiveness from the story, what if part of the gospel story was Jesus rescuing us from the lie of the sacred object? Jesus exposing that chasing external things to help you lack the lack does not work. And of course, I think that's why the first thing the Gospels record when Jesus dies was the temple veil tour. Because what, what the Jews believed was that the key, to their, the key to their less lack was the presence of God. The problem was is the presence of God was relegated behind a curtain and no one was allowed in there except for once a year this very elite person, right? And so, and so if you believe that the key to you not having lack is forbidden from you, and you just got to do all these things, and you got to chase all these things to maybe get a taste of part of it one day. And of course, Jesus shows up and changes the rules entirely. And he says, let anyone who's thirsty come after me, and I'll give them a full measure of the presence of God that's been relegated to that building. And, and all you got to do is want it. Well, that was a game-changing thing. That was, that was Jesus revealing that actually this external thing you believe that's outside of you uh, we're going to put it inside you. And so in that sense, Jesus brought salvation to the world by inviting us to stop chasing sacred objects and be aware that the fullness of the presence of God is available to us right here now today. And that was a, that was a game-changing thing. Yeah. Shane, I could listen to you all day with your teaching. I just love uh, your heart and the way that you explain things as well. Uh, now, if people do, do want to find out more, they can go to the website shanewillardministries.org. Uh, also right. there, uh, they can find links to your Facebook and you've got great resources. And I noticed you're doing this e-mentoring sessions uh, where yeah. uh, the donations go towards feeding and clothing the poor, setting women and children yeah. free from sex slavery, uh, caring for orphans and providing medical treatment to those in need and teaching God's Word. Yeah. Uh, it's a great partnership that you've got there. If people want to find out about the e-mentoring as well, that's a great thing. And if people want to book you to speak at their church, you, you're traveling around Australia, you're keen to preach the Word, hey? Yeah, oh, yeah, we... we um. Uh, we're very, very booked up, but um, but anybody that would anybody that would say, hey, um, we'd love to look into um, to booking you to come speak, um, then you can just contact our office. Uh, you know, Robin is the administrator, and um, she does my calendar, and uh, and we'll look to, we'll look to get you on the itinerary as soon as we can. Awesome, love Shane. To. Well, mate, it's been so good to hear a bit of your story today. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. There you'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater. And my challenge to you now is to go and make history. This year is the 50th anniversary for the Bible League. They're celebrating all that God's done in their ministry and they're praying into all that He's going to do in the next 50 years. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. To Him be the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. If you'd like to support the Bible League as they reach the generations to come, 
go to BibleLeague.com.au. Station sponsor.